The thing is not how you are on your best days, how can you step up on your worst day? When everything is going terrible, when you're tired, when you're frustrated, when you're edgy, how do you treat other people? Fuck pain, fuck heartbreak. I'm still in love with life. Multicultural headquarters of the future capital of the free-thinking states of America known as Los Angeles, this is the Drunken Dows Podcast. On this episode, professional balloon twister Adi Somek joins us to share his fantastic new book, Inflatable Planet, which documents a grand journey through 35 countries with photographer Charlie Eckert, making balloon hats for people everywhere they went, discovering along the way that balloons like ice cream and James Brown, transcend the language barrier, and that the greatest joy you can feel is when you're giving joy to someone else. This is a great conversation. And now, asking you all to spread the words that corporations are not persons, I'm Rich Evers. And my partner in crime, the savage philosopher and middle finger of the gods, Daniele Bolelli. As we invite you to lower the lights, batten down the hatches, and prepare to open your mind. For the Drunken Dows Podcast begins now. Welcome back, everybody, to another fine episode of the Drunken Dows Podcast. Actually, a fantastic episode. This is a wonderful interview. I had no idea what we were stepping into, and I see hope in the world in a tiny little sliver. Yeah, Rich has been highly enthusiastic ever since we finished recording this episode that you're going to be hearing within a few minutes. I needed this. Um, one <laughs> advice, even though, of course, this is an audio podcast, but uh, there's a lot that we talk about photographs. So you may want to check them at inflatableplanet.com. If you have a chance to take a look, inflatableplanet.com is the name of the website. Inflatable Planet is the name of a book that we will be discussing. So it may not be a bad idea if you have a chance to take a look so that you have a visual for some of the things that we will be discussing. Because we have our guest, Adi Somek, visiting us. And he's a delightful guy. It's, uh, I don't know, I guess, uh, why foreshadow things yeah, when they get to unfold. check them out. Yeah. yeah. So before we do that, just a quick, uh, uh, the usual things. So quick thank yous to people keeping us in business. Number one, people keeping us in business. You guys listening. Let the pottering begin. So big thank you to the people who donated. And that would be Mr. Nicola Togni, Joseph Lord, Globalobos.com, Eden Carey, O, Samuele Rudelli, Jim D'Amico, Joseph Lord, Stephen Rados, Eric Adam Collins, Donald Chip Witten, Lane Raper, Luis Pesquera, Yanni Linima, Jesse Rantakanga, Sarah Weisner. You guys are awesome. You want to join this brave band of heroes? There are a couple of ways to do it. You can either PayPal to my email address, which is bodhi1974 at yahoo.com. Again, that would be B as in boy, O D as in Daniel, hi1974 at yahoo.com. Or we can get uh, paypal.me forward slash D Bolelli. Again, paypal.me, first name, first letter of my first name, letter D, and then my last name, B O L E L L I. 
Uh, thank you, of course, to Short Design T-shirts for having been in our corner for a long time. So if you want to get a gift for somebody or for yourself with beautiful T-shirts and pants coming straight from Thailand, shortdesigntshirts.com is your friend. As always, thank you to those sending us wines, specifically home sellers and materawines.com. Kiva.org continues to grow. We've blasted past 200,000 in, uh, you know, 18 months, two years, we'll be 250,000 because everybody keeps on keeping on. So that's just an incredible thing, helping out lots of people. Not a bad gig. And if you can uh, either find our Amazon link somewhere and use it when you make Amazon purchases, or I still think this website still works. I'm not 100%. We may want to test it. It's called the dbamazing.com that automatically links you to Amazon and give us a cut that's always appreciated if you guys can do that with that we shall shut up in the intro and start talking in the episode Cool, ladies and gentlemen, let's get rolling. After a day of rain in Hawaii, the sun is back out. Maybe, hopefully. Maybe it's not going to rain on us while we chat. With us today, Mr. Adi Somak. Welcome to the Drunken Taoist. It's genuinely a pleasure to be here. It's great that you made the drive out. That's so kind. That's awesome. Adi, it's always funny when starting an episode when we do interview is always funny because it's kind of like one of the things that sometimes you ask somebody is like, okay, tell listeners all about your life story in the next 45 seconds. But, you know, clearly that's, it's physically impossible. But I don't know, whatever you feel like, just to get the ball rolling, just to get people to have a sense of who you are, what you do. And so then we can, uh, once they have that initial entry point, then we can branch out. Yeah, I could do that for sure. So I'm 50 years old and I am a professional balloon artist. I've been twisting balloons since I was 19. So 31 years. And... I never wanted to be a balloon twister. This was not like a childhood <laughs> dream come true. It there, was, are there many of you guys that you have a club that you get? It's not like you don't hear very often people who tell you, what do you do? I'm a balloon artist. That's yeah, yeah. Not, uh, it's, there, there is, I don't want to say it's a cult, but it's certainly <laughs> a community. Okay, that, that always sounds better. I yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. and um, but no, I, there was just a balloon convention in Los Angeles a couple of weeks ago where people from all over the world mm-hmm. came. And gosh, it's 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 a little complicated to explain in that most people are familiar with balloon animals, mm-hmm. but it's usually this kind of cheesy, yeah, goofy thing that maybe you know, like a, a sad clown guy might make at a farmer's market or something like that, but. There's also this extreme high level super technique art form mm-hmm. that is sculpture mm-hmm. and it's performance and it's extremely colorful and it's totally ephemeral so you it's it's just one notch above you know bubble mm-hmm. making or no. 
ice sculpture. It's it's really it, that's partly the power of it is that yeah. it's so temporary that it forces you subconsciously to be in the moment because you know, oh, this isn't going to be here next week. Or, for instance, the most beautiful thing I will ever make will never be sold on eBay. Of course. Right? There's no, no one's ever going to steal it and hoard it. Right. You know? Because by the time it gets there, it's no longer, by then it's probably deflated and stuff. Yeah, exactly. So it has a, it's almost like making like the Tibetan sun painting, making a mandala really complicated that you know it's. In that case, they choose to make it go, but it's the same process, right? It's, it's not, the same process. It's not yeah. our design to last. It's right. for the moment. And, and, and that's the power of it. Mm-hmm. And that's also what I like about it. Mm-hmm. I, I know people who are painters and they're, you go to their house and their paintings are all over the place. And I couldn't be staring at my stuff like that. It would make me nervous. Right. There's something <laughs> that, I, that I find comforting in the fact that this isn't something I'm going to hold on to. Mm-hmm. But also it's because I... I have always been into improvisation. Mm-hmm. So wait, let, let me back up for a moment. So my particular style of balloon twisting is balloon crowns, like improvising headdresses mm-hmm. that match the person's personality and aura. So I didn't realize this at the time when I started, because when I was 19 and I started this, it was just a summer job yep. to pay my car insurance. Yep. And I didn't realize <laughs> at the time, because no one had ever explained it to me. I'd never even, I don't think I'd ever even heard the word aura, but I was always super... Like highly empath- uh, empathetic mm-hmm. and would get on people's wavelength and and can really like relate to people too much so in mm-hmm. fact and when I started twisting balloons I just would see like shapes and colors coming out of people's heads and then I would try to replicate that with the balloons. Mm-hmm. And the result would be a crown that the person actually wanted to wear. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like a bowl of spaghetti dumped on someone's sure. head or it wasn't just a clowny, goofy thing. People right. actually felt like yeah. seen and crowned. I actually came to do this almost by accident because it was just a job. But I realized if I make the same you know, balloon animal over and over again, I'm going to lose my marbles. Yeah. I always wanted to be a musician when I was a kid. And I... St- I read biographies about John Coltrane and, you know, Miles Davis, and I just was fascinated with this idea of improvisation. So, it, Because I was raised by a secular scientist, mm-hmm. it seemed to me like some sort of mystical thing. Like, where do these ideas yeah. come from? Yeah. And the idea that you be so good at something that you just want to keep practicing and practicing and practicing... That to me was exciting, but I wasn't good at anything, mm-hmm. right? I tried trombone and I tried ceramics and photography, and it was clear to me when I was in high school, I'm not good at any of this. Yeah. So when I started <laughs> twisting balloons, I, it was for the first time in my life I felt I was good at something, mm-hmm. but then I was totally embarrassed because of all things to be good at. It's like <laughs> right. I'm around you know, these children who are just all hopped up on corn sugar yeah. at, at birthday parties and- the fathers are emasculated and the mothers are stressed out and the whole thing was horrible. But one, I was making a lot of money. That helps. And two, I was able to improvise because when I, when I realized I didn't want to just make animals, if I make a hat, I can improvise the Mm -hmm. hat to fit the person's personality. So that kind of scratched that itch I'd always had. And also I didn't have to shave every day. I didn't have a boss. (laughs) I didn't have to drive in traffic. So it, it covered all my kind of like, lifestyle criteria Mm -hmm. 
And then what happened was, so anyway, I was basically a self-hating balloon guy at this point, but a talented one. <laughs> sorry. Uh, <laughs> sorry. A self-hating balloon guy. Talented. But a talented one yeah. should be on your business card. <laughs> That's just yeah. so good. Yeah. It was true. And I, I didn't, I mean, I'm 19 here, so I don't yeah. know, you know, that this is going to be a whole career that's going to take me around the world. At one point, it was Thanksgiving, and I didn't want to be around my family. And so I decided I'm going to go, go volunteer at a nursing home. And it was kind of poignant because it was a bunch of people who wished that, that they could be with their families. Yeah. But they're kind of isolated, especially the ones who really couldn't get out of their room. So yeah. I, I went there and I just went from room to room making like balloon flour or just, you know, kind of talking to people and making balloons for them. And as I was leaving... One of the nurses said to me, you know, for a lot of these people, you just gave them surprise and delight for the last time in their life. Mm. And I realized, oh, this isn't some yeah. silly game. Mm -hmm. This is actually like emotional dynamite. This is like serious. Like if someone's close to the end, in physical pain, in, a, in existential despair, lonely, and all of a sudden you can like, with something so simple of as like, like this tube of latex yeah. inflated with air that's just twisted in a sp specific shape that if you can create that level of joy for someone who's um hopeless yeah in a way hopeless i mean a lot of these nursing homes they're basically you know it's warehouses like a, it's yeah it's a warehouse it's it's a bus station you're yep. you're getting ready to transfer so that's when i began to really like respect it and realize oh this isn't dumb there's nothing to hate myself about this is actually powerful and i decided i wanted to explore that also it was a great way to meet girls because i now we're talking yeah because like <laughs> i i didn't i didn't have any game i wasn't mm -hmm. good at flirting but all of a sudden i had this weird fucking superpower that i could just make this balloon ring or a balloon flower mm -hmm. and i was completely you know set apart from all the other suitors like i had my lane of course you know yeah yeah, yeah. So anyway, I just kept doing it. And then um, I went to grad school in New York. So I started doing this when I was a, a student at UC Santa Cruz mm -hmm. in, I guess the year I started was the summer of 91, I think. Mm -hmm. Did you make many banana slugs? You know, it's funny you say that. Just jumping ahead, I, I now teach at UC Santa Cruz. I have like a side hustle job there and I started a club called the Balloon Art Brigade on campus <laughs> where I teach kids how to make balloon mm -hmm art and then they go volunteer in nursing homes so in that way it kind of is a cult but uh, i did come up <laughs> with a very good banana slug the banana slug is the mascot of uc santa cruz and right. you walk around on campus it's in the forest yeah there's banana slugs everywhere fantastic banana right. slugs are really amazing because you know if you touch one uh -huh. and then you put your fingers together your fingers will literally be glued together really? and it's not easy to separate them really wow. yeah they, it's trippy wow. trippy creatures and they're like you know they're primordial and yeah. they're like probably older than the dinosaurs there's them and keith richards who will survive a nuclear holocaust <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yes i saw a meme the other day where there was a willie nelson picture and it says uh I hope the new generations will take care of the earth for me and Keith Richards. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Okay, that's awesome. So you're finding your lane in that sense. You're finding a purpose also for um, something that was, uh, I mean, because, you know, if you go from uh, the self-eating balloon guy, you feel like, okay, I can make some money. I pay car insurance. This is cool. Yeah. But what the fuck am I doing? Is not really what I... Well, I thought it was like a college job. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, and, of course. And, and 
uh, and a good party trick. And, yeah. and that was about it. Then I went to grad school in New York mm-hmm. and I studied organizational development because mm-hmm. I thought I'd be like a therapist for sure. companies. And that was partly the whole empathy thing is that I could like talk to people and help them solve problems and I and that was very lucrative and I thought that's what I would do. Yep. As I was graduating, just when I was about to graduate, and this is like 95, I met this photographer named Charlie Eckert in mm-hmm. New York. And Charlie was born and raised in Queens and so he was a lifelong New Yorker. He saw my balloons and he saw the way people reacted to them, mm-hmm. New Yorkers, like on yeah. the street. We yeah. were, and it was a Halloween party. We needed a costume. So I said, don't worry, I make balloon hats. Yeah, we'll get in. So we're walking down the street with these balloon hats and people are like applauding. And Charlie (laughs) was like, you know, you could be bleeding on the sidewalk and people will just step over you. I've never seen applause before. And then what happened was he missed his train going back to Queens that night. So he slept on the floor in my apartment. Right. We barely knew each other. I'd seen his photography uh, like a couple weeks before, yeah. and his photo, I could, his photos for someone who had never gone to school or mm-hmm. had any professional experience, he took these really like abstract and emotional photos. Mm-hmm. That the next morning we woke up a little hungover, smoked a joint, because that's you know normal for me. But also when you're hungover, it really yeah. helps with your stomach and stuff. And so we were just getting high and talking, and Charlie said, "You know, it'd be amazing." To go around the world to make balloon hats for people and take pictures of them. Mm-hmm. It was just like a random stony idea. He throw just it threw there, it out course. there, and yeah. he didn't expect anything. And, and and when he said it, I heard a click. Like I literally heard, like a click. Right. In my head, yep. as if there was a sound effects guy who was just hit the <laughs> click button. Yeah. And I I was like, oh, yeah, we got to do it. And, and it, when I say we got to do it, it's like we got to at least try. Sure. Now that the idea has been born. We have to at least try it. I don't know if it's going to work or not. Sure, sure. But um, so so that was the beginning of it. Mm -hmm. And then we wound up um, doing seven trips around the world. The first trip was to Central America. Yep. Because we both knew enough Spanish to function. It was close by. How long went by between uh, stoned idea to travel? Good question. So stoned idea was the day after Halloween. Uh And I think our first trip was the spring of the following year. Oh, quick though. So, so it was like six was months. An, okay, okay, okay. Because, yeah, cool. we had to kind of, we had to get some money, we had to organize things, we had to study weather patterns. Yeah, but not that much. I mean, not it's that like much, fairly yeah. quick from... And we barely knew each other. Yeah, yeah. We So one way I knew that we would actually be on the same page kind of aesthetically mm-hmm. is we were both really big fans of the Beastie Boys record, Check Your Head which had come out just a couple years before because, and we liked it for the same reason because they didn't really know how to play their instruments, Absolutely, but they were figuring it out as they were making the record. Yes. And we were like, that's the, and they made an amazing record. They did. And so we were like, okay, that's it. I I didn't go to balloon school. You didn't go to photography school. Let's try it. Let's learn on the job. Yes. Yeah. 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 So that, so, and and so I knew that we would like, we weren't going to have problems because we just had completely different tastes, you know? Then we had to kind of come up with just like some basic rules of how to function. So we had three rules from the beginning. And the first one was um, we split all the money 50 50 mm-hmm. if we make any money, which we didn't. So that was never <laughs> that like ca- that, that, that made it, That kept it simple. Yeah. The other one was that I would stick to the balloons and he would stick to the photography. Right. And we weren't going to micromanage each other, sure. yep. which also was not a problem because he couldn't inflate the balloons and I couldn't. You know, even Thought load that. the film in the camera. Right. Um, keyword film. Yeah. Because this was Back in the, in the 90s. day. Yeah. Yeah. And then the uh, the third thing was um, not to fall in love with the same woman. 
Yeah, that would be problematic. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that would be a, that could be a problem, but also it wasn't because we just have uh, incredibly different tastes in women. That, that also helps. Okay. Okay. Always Perfect helpful. partnership. Right? Yeah, yes. we never, we never, uh, we're still super close. Yeah, I mean, we're we're we walked around the world together. We went to thirty five countries in four years. Thirty five countries in four years. Yeah, without wow. uh, an intern or a manager yeah, yeah, or just- a security guard. I mean, we had to figure like we're in the middle of Kenya. We we don't know anybody in Kenya. Yeah. We have to figure out what we're doing. Um, so so yeah, we became super tight and kind of telepathic. We were like a married couple towards the <laughs> right. end. You know, like when you yeah. live with someone and you know what they're thinking. Mm-hmm. Just by the way, like they make some tiny like wrinkle with their forehead yeah. or something. Yeah. So yeah, it was like that. So uh, so basically, what we did was we would just show up somewhere, mm-hmm. and I would just. And, start making balloon hats and it was kind of an experiment to see how people would react to it of course and then charlie would document that reaction and so like i said we went to uh 35 countries we did seven trips over the four years so our first trip was to central america uh guatemala honduras nicaragua then we went to europe uh, Scandinavia. We went all the way to the tip of the Arctic Circle wow. in Norway, and then back down through Finland to Russia, and then through um, Eastern Europe back to home. And then our third trip was to Africa. Mm-hmm. We went to West Africa and East Africa. So we went to Bar- uh, Ghana, Burkina Faso, Mali, mm-hmm. and then flew to Kenya. Then our fourth trip was our longest trip was in Asia, and we went to Japan. All the way at the bottom of Vietnam in the Mekong Delta, we went all the way by land through China to Mongolia. Wow. And then, yeah, in December, <laughs> yeah. it was Ooh. cold. It was Jesus. real cold. And then we flew to Thailand, and then we flew to India for a month. So that was one three-month trip. Wow. And, and the thing is, because we shot it on film, yeah. we had to go home of and course. develop the film course, and see what course. happened. So And we had to like rest and earn yeah. some money and go back out. So then um, that was our fourth trip. Then our fifth trip, we went to the Balkans in the Middle East, which was really trippy because it was right after they stopped fighting in Bosnia. Right. And right before the the second Antifada started in Israel. It was just this like... Right in moment between. of time yeah, that we yeah. just happened to go. Uh, uh, a Serbian sculptor saw our work and invited us, and that kind of in- inspired yeah. the whole trip. So we made balloons for Israelis and Palestinians. And our sixth trip, we drove around the United States in my Volvo station wagon. I think we went to like 25 states yep. and Canada. <laughs> and then finally, our last trip, Johnny Walker Whiskey found us and wanted to make a commercial okay. with balloon hats for... They wanted to make it look like it was around the world. Right. So we decided, all right, let's go to Rio. Yeah. Shoot the whole thing in Rio. Make it look like it's different places in the world. And then we took the money they gave us and we went to the Amazon jungle. Which, which to me, as a balloon guy, was kind of like going back to the mothership. Because that's where the latex come from. Rubber tree comes from. Yeah. Yeah. Was there a portion of the world that was more accepting? That's a good question. In Africa... It was extremely serious. Like they took the balloon hats very. You can see that in the pictures. There. Yeah. Right. Because they're really into the headdress. Yeah. And they're really into things that are colorful. But symbolically, the headdress isn't a joke. It's uh, the status symbol. So we'd show up in the town, and they'd say, "You have to go make the chief a hat, and his wife's. Yeah. And then you can make it for normal people. So that was quite quite amazing. And 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 like. 
you know, I remember in, in one place in Ghana, somebody walked up to me. It was, we were there close to Easter. Mm-hmm. And he, he said, are you a prophet? Are you here for Easter? Because <laughs> the idea that we're just like some right. art kids from the 90s trying to make a book yeah. didn't make sense. Of to course. them, it was more like, this is important and magical. Are you a prophet? Are you here to give us these important crowns? Right. Um, so that was... I guess flattering, um, uh, but also India was interesting because most places that we went to, I mean, I, I always tell people to go to, to to visit India at least once in their life because it's basically like taking a 747 to another planet. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so weird there. And so most places around the world, we would go and people would say, okay, this is unique and this is like different and special. And India was just like, all right, balloon guy's here. You know, it's just like, it was just to- just another crazy <laughs> right. thing that happened. Yeah. You know? So uh, those two places, and the food in India is so good. Oh my so, God. Um, those the Golden two Temple really is like number out. one on my list to, to, to go visit at some point. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Even though we did all the traveling in the 90s, the book just came out now, which is a whole... It takes a long time to develop film. (laughs) Yeah, right. And and that makes me wonder something. Well, first of all, I have only got the the slightest look to the book, and it's already incredible. And the faces and the spirits of the people, everybody seems to be down. Definitely the African folks are more serious, but there's so much joy in this. Yeah. And people are just being themselves. Quite incredible. I wonder if it would have been a different book if it was today with somebody with a digital camera that could fire off thousands of shots. Absolutely, 100%. Instead of the way we were back then, where I've got three 36 rolls for the weekend and I can't shoot them on girls on Saturday night or I'll have nothing yeah. for Sunday. Decision-making was different back then. Yes. And everything was different. I, First of all, was... the, the, you're absolutely right. Charlie had to ration his film. Sure. Right? So he had to be very strategic because we only have six days left and I only have five rolls of film. So there's he, not a Walgreens in Ghana to go get some more yeah, film, I'm exactly. sure. Exactly, yeah, yes. So that's absolutely true. Also, I think that relationship between the photographer and the subject is different because now you can hit a button and it literally will take six shots in a second. Yeah. And you can look at it and see exactly if it worked or not. Yeah. There, then it was completely different and i think that timing that relationship i think allowed a a type of connection or intimacy that you might lose with the convenience of modern cameras Mm -hmm. and i would say the one other thing is that now if we did the exact same thing now and just showed up and started making balloons everybody would be pulling out their phone and taking pictures yep and they would get in the way Right. It would change the entire dynamic. Of course. And, as they should. They should have fun and whatever. I'm not going to tell them not to, but um, it's just different. Mm-hmm. And on top of everything else, if we got our bag stolen on the last day of the trip, all the film's gone. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. The whole thing is so the risk is much higher. And not even like, yeah, you can get it stolen. You can get showered on and uh, you got a giant storm and you rained upon and now fucks up all your field. And, and it was it, always a thing going through x-rays. Oh, uh-huh. yeah. At the airports. Yeah. You yeah, know? Of course. One more thing is that I would, if I was experimenting with a balloon hat, I would know right away if that design worked or not. Yeah, yeah. If Charlie experimented with a photo, he would only know if that actually worked two months later. Two or months something. later once yeah, we got home. Totally. 
So, Yikes. so yeah, he he had it way harder than me. I had it hard because I was mouth inflating these balloons yeah. in places that were incredibly hot, and I would get heat stroke. Right, and, you know. I was attacked by kids. I was almost I was almost castrated once by an eight year old with a razor blade. Wait, why? They just attacked me. The kids in Guatemala they couldn't wait because right. there was just you know, there's only me and there's fifty kids and then it becomes like a mob mentality and they just bum rushed me and started grabbing balloons from out of my hands and out of my balloon apron that I you know, I yeah. carried this balloon apron. And so I had to like kick these kids away from me just to get out of there and then like about an hour later i looked down and i saw there was a slice right in my pants or like yeah. right next to the zipper and i was like oh what's that and i opened it up and my underwear was sliced and i opened that up and my money belt was sliced and in the midst of all that chaos an eight-year-old and it had to be an eight-year-old because there was only little yeah, kids that yeah. were around me felt my money belt and with a razor blade sliced it and got five hundred dollars in cash and sliced our traveler's checks, and it was literally the thickness of my passport that um, saved, your, saved your manhood. Saved Jeez. my manhood, yes. <laughs> and allows me to experience you know, consensual warmth. Um, yes. So, uh, but, but that, that was a kind of a major issue for us because we're like, we're trying to do this thing where we're trying to show people laughing around yeah. the world, and the fact that, you know, as different as we are, we have these like similarities. Mm-hmm. Uh, worth appreciating, yeah. And you can't even trust an eight-year-old, right? Yep. And that was that was first trip. That was the first trip. That was the, that, not just the first trip. That was the first day no. on the first trip. <laughs> yeah. And yet you went through fifty zillion more countries. Uh, we're here. And kept yeah. Doing it. Well, okay. So the next morning, I literally woke up just like somebody who is maybe like mugged or assaulted yeah, yeah. wakes up with like the next day with like. Uh, anger, yeah, of like, course. It was almost this like cocktail of humiliation and anger. Of course. And I, I literally woke up just dreaming about breaking like eight year old elbows. <laughs> like it's not an idea I ever had before, but I almost got my dick cut off. So I was yes. like, yes. and and <laughs> so uh, at that point we had to find the yin yang of trusting people and yeah, protecting ourselves. Of course. So we had to come up with some techniques to. And I actually write about this in the book. Like for one thing, there was I always had to keep arm's length mm-hmm. of away. Like I wouldn't let people get closer than arm's length. Then I developed a thing called the chuck and duck technique, where I always had like round balloons, like the big round balloons, uninflated in my pocket. And if I felt like the shit was about to go down, I would take the balloons out of my pocket, show them to everybody, and then throw them one direction. And they would all pile on top of each other to get the balloons, and then Charlie and I would escape right. the other direction. So, so we uh, developed techniques to deal with this. But the the actual at the core, the trust issue was huge. Yeah, and because if you're in, you know, much of the world, the Kazakhstan. majority of the world, <laughs> and you're walking around as a Westerner, your shoes, just your shoes, yeah, can be worth more money than a family makes an entire year right wow. and they just get a parade of westerners who are coming with these fat ass cameras to take pictures and it develops anger so these parents like like gypsies train their kids in order to target yeah because you're their lunch money yeah yeah no that makes sense and i mean i've seen some of the pictures yeah you have been in places that some that look very mellow and relaxed Others, I uh, would say, less so. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Post-war Serbia had to be crazy. 
Yeah. Did you Croatia and everything when you were uh, there? We went to Croatia, Serbia, and Bosnia. Yeah. yeah in Bosnia, we had some crazy. I can like, only imagine. Because that was, was the right battleground, after right? The war. What? Bosnia was the actual battleground. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, eventually we the U.S. bombed Serbia, but the, the, in that whole war, yeah. uh, Bosnia was the, the main um, battleground. But, oh, my God, I we made balloons. <sighs> this is so funny. The two places in the world, or it's not funny, but it's no. ironic. The two places in the world we made balloons where if it, the balloon popped, people Pe- would freak out. Oh, yeah, of course. Was Bosnia and inner city Chicago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Just sense. because they dealt with so many snipers and of gunshots. Course. So we actually went, uh, so when we were in Bosnia, we got hooked up with this uh, UN agent. It wasn't even a U. it was USAID. It was a US mm-hmm. agency. And they were doing a survey to see uh, about survivors and, and how many people died. And so they took us to this kind of, uh, it was kind of a village. It was kind of a refugee camp for everyone who survived from uh, in Srebrenica, mm-hmm. where the Serbs basically came, dug a giant hole, and just filled it with men and just sprayed them with machine guns. I think they killed 8,000 people in a day. Jesus. And in this village, they were doing their survey. They asked me to do balloons and you know get people yeah. to kind of like have fun and relax. Almost all the families didn't have a father. We only found one family that actually had a father, and this father was actually in the massacre, but he had survived. And he hid in the dead bodies for, I think, two or three days and then escaped and ran out in the forest and survived somehow in the forest right. until he found people. So, I mean, here we are with this fun light balloon thing, and but we're actually, like, meeting and connecting with people. And, and because we were making them happy and because you know i wasn't just pulling out like santa claus like toys out of a bag they saw that i'm inflating his balloons and i'm like sweating and it's dizzy and it's like i'm dizzy and they could see that i was putting work into it they were super grateful and then very open to us you know it was like they trusted us because we made the kids happy and so the balloons really are this like social lubricant where because they transcend the language barrier right just like food or music we were able to connect with people that we couldn't really talk to and they would trust us and then open up. And that was an extreme example, but we had, we like when we were in Vietnam, we wound up having this incredible experience with a, a guy who was a high ranking officer in the North Vietnamese army. Oh wow. So he fought against the Americans yeah. and a, a close friend of mine and Charlie's was a Vietnam vet. So he would tell us stories about, you know, being fighting in Vietnam and the whole thing. And so when we were there, we were making balloons for these kids, and they pointed this old guy who's like he's sitting there squatting the way the Vietnamese yep. sit in that squat yep. thing and smoking a cigarette, watching everything. And they're like, "Make grandpa a hat, make grandpa a hat." So we went, made grandpa a hat, and then his son came and said that you know he fought against the Americans and he invited us into his home, and then him and his wife brought out this like homemade rice wine. We all sat there drinking it out of a big vase with straws. Me, Charlie, him, and his wife. And then they started singing to us like acapella Vietnamese folk songs <laughs> as a thank you for making right. their kids happy. Just thinking back, you know, this was 95. So that was 20 or, yeah, 90, 20 years, 98. Yeah. It was a little 20 year, 22, 23 years after the war ended. It was just unimaginable. It was a really beautiful example of people, culture being able to heal over yep. time. Yep. That was a very specific magical moment that That's I'll amazing. remember. Yeah. That was 50 years ago yesterday. 
Wait, oh. didn't they go till 75, though? Yeah, I think it was 75. Something was the end yesterday. I just, uh, I may have gotten it wrong. You but know what? It could be the peace agreement because they did, that there was from it. the time they said we are done yeah. to when they pull everybody out, there was, was a it, year was and a half gap. So, because so, it definitely wasn't so. the Saigon stuff, but it was. Yeah, so that yeah. makes sense. That would be probably the agreement. And then the final pullout is 75. Oh. Yeah, that's crazy. 50 yeah. years. Yeah, that's nuts. Good thing we didn't have another useless war after that. Oh, <laughs> I forget. Man, your dad did two tours. And then stayed in the army. Mm. He was working for IBM, got drafted. Mm. And were you 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 were? I, I tell the story all the time. There's a kindly Vietnamese gentleman that put a big hole in my father's leg to have him delivered to Honolulu to meet my mother. Oh, oh, interesting. That's probably happened five million times in history. Oh. That I was never going to be there, but yeah, yeah. Being in the war and all, yeah, I ended up in a weird place and oh. man. And, yeah, and just the madness of the whole thing. And everybody was fine. I guess Muhammad Ali had a bet. You know, he never did anything to me. Why would I want to fight them? And yeah, just, yeah. My buddy Bill, who I mentioned, he got he got sent to Vietnam in '72. Like everybody oh, knew it was yeah, over, over at that point. Yeah. He still got sent there. He was in a high school in Texas, and they came and they did an anti-marijuana kind of assembly or yeah. some sort of spiel. And he wrote an article in the school paper saying that going to Vietnam is probably more dangerous for your health than smoking marijuana. He got kicked out of high school, yeah. and then he got drafted for real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah, is yeah. so fucked up. Yeah, and he told me he said the he said the moment he landed, he looked around. He's like, yeah. This place could use some communism. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, last weekend, it was the Blue Angels and the Thunderbirds together at Point Magoo doing all their tricks. Mm. And as amazing as it is, I'm like so bad. It's like, that is so fucking awesome. But it's also like terrifying that these dragons that we've built, imagine yeah. what it would be like in your little village yeah. and these rocket planes come yeah. over and throw yeah. the napalm and just... That's what Apocalypse Now did well, right? Yeah. With the, between the music, the vibe, the whole thing was just like this scary fire-breathing monster that come down and you've never seen anything like it. No, and, and the, the, the noise of them, because yeah. we figured out, don't go onto the base, you can line up right on the runway. Mm. So every run they make, you were either getting it over your head or blast past you. It was so fucking loud. Yeah. yeah. And the and sound would roll off over the ocean, so you just... No, I mean. Also, Americans are probably the only people in the world when they see fighter jets in the sky actually run out to watch. Yeah, everybody else. <laughs> Most people duck for cover and hide somewhere. Yeah. What are do you think? Like, because you are going into kind of like the scary aspect of it, and the eight-year-old Guatemalan kid tried to take your precious manhood and things like that. Yeah. Uh, I've seen like I just read into this picture that looked like it has a story, and of course, this is when doing a podcast. That's how the only. He's trippy. Oh, right. The East LA guys. Yes. Right. Those so, guys look like people that you better hope they are laughing. Yeah. The the picture is, I, I think they call it hitting switches, uh -huh. which is when the car, they like the yeah. cars bounce up and down and it's like an ancient masculine yeah. ritual, you know, instead of like how far can you throw the disc or yeah. how fast can the horse run? It's like whose car can bounce higher. So we knew we wanted to meet these guys. And get a picture of with the cars bouncing mm -hmm. and a dude with a hat on, but we didn't know anybody, so we drove around Los Angeles for four days in neighborhoods where you 
probably shouldn't have been driving. I, right. Not only were we driving around, but like I was sticking my head out the window, of course. looking around <laughs> in a Volvo station wagon, and we just were not having any luck at all. The frustrating thing is we, we always had to do time management. We yeah. only have so much time, of course. so much money. If we have a goal, how much time are we going to invest in that goal yeah, yeah, yeah. before we say, okay, it's not we working, need to bail we need to try yeah. something else? So neither, this was way before I moved to LA, so neither of us had any like knowledge of Los sure. Angeles. We were just like striking out, striking out, striking out. Finally, we pulled over in complete frustration, ready to quit. And we just happened to park in front of a auto body shop. Mm -hmm. So I said, all right, let me go inside this auto body shop. Yeah. This will be the last thing. That we so I go in, I tell the guy, hey, we make balloons. We're looking for the guys with the cars that bounce. And he looked at me like I was like, I know he looked at me with almost complete indifference and contempt, but at the same time, he pointed at this flyer on the wall that said car show. Yeah. Next day, there was a car show. It said no gangs, no colors, mm -hmm. no drugs. It was like a family event yeah. with all these car clubs that were kind of gang-like. Oh, yeah. But this was a, a family event yeah. that they were putting on. And if you belong to one, don't bring the colors and leave that stuff at home. This is, right. Uh, just and and people cars. still had their colors because obviously we have colors. We can't yeah. not have colors. But it was a family event. So Charlie and I showed up there still not knowing anybody. Yeah. He told me, ask for Juan. Oh, yeah, that helps. <laughs> right, that helps. Yeah. <laughs> Only a and, 31 and so our, um, our, our strategy, our, our MO, what we usually did was start with the kids. Yeah. And then, because that's easy. You can't just walk up to an adult and say, I'm, I'm yeah. making this. Of course. I mean, actually, you could in some places. But in this particular case, we had to start with the kids. So we made all the kids happy, and then the parents trusted us. Right. Then it's my job as the balloon twister to kind of feel out how to ramp it up sure. and when to make the strategic strike. Yeah. In this particular case, the car started bouncing mm -hmm. and I had a very short time to actually make a hat. Yeah. And what you don't see in the picture is there's another car right off to the side that's also bouncing. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I, w I like I had to be very specific with the colors too to make sure that yeah, like yeah, I, I, I didn't because uh, the other <laughs> the other car club was orange and I really wanted to put a little orange in his hat, yeah. you know, to make it pop. Yeah. But we like we cannot Yeah, I played it safe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so yeah, that, I mean that's an example a lot of what we did was just total randomness and spontaneity. I had mm -hmm. no idea what was going to happen. There were other times where it was like strategic. Like, for instance, when we went to Africa, our entire trip to Africa was organized around this um, connection that I had. Mm -hmm. I went to a car upholstery place, and the guy was from uh, Burkina Faso, which I'd never even heard of that country. It's like... It's a it's well because also they changed the name. It wasn't Burkina Faso. Third, like when you were learning geography in school, it wasn't Burkina Faso. I forget which one it was, but it was one of those like the zillion African countries that had a colonial name, mm. and then it got changed oh, again, probably got around changed. that time, yeah. late eighties, early nineties, kind of. Right. Thing. Yeah. So, so I met this guy, and he told me that he his uncle was the uh, king of a tribe mm -hmm. of the Bambara tribe. He was the king of the Bambaras. And that he had like 26 wives. And so we we're like, fuck, yes, let's go there. Because I had in my head this vision of making the king a crown and then all his wives next yeah, to him. Yeah, yeah. That was an example of us trying to go for like a specific thing. Mm -hmm. We go all the way there, right? We fly into Ghana. We go all the way on by land, like on, on you know, crowded minivan and dump truck and anything we can hitchhike <laughs> on. And we finally get there and he had died a month before. Oh, oh right. That's even worse than a no. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's even worse than to know. <laughs> that's right. bad. So, uh, so, so, you know, we had an intention, but the intention didn't work. So then we had to just kind of improvise and of see course. everything else. So, well, and you got the picture of the camel right there, and I just loved you took the decoration they already had and enhanced it with your balloons. Um, or those? Those are all balloons. Oh, those are oh those necklace parts. Oh, those, those are, are balloons. Those ne- too? Yeah, Excuse those me? necklaces. Yeah. So, so that's in the Rajasthan desert. We, oh yeah. You know the people are nomads, so we rented four camels. Me, Charlie, and then two uh, like a uh, a tour guide and mm-hmm. a translator. Um, and we rode these camels for four days in the desert, just going to the nomadic villages and making balloons for people. Wow. So that that photo there was like our our going away moment with the camel like that was our goodbye so i made him these necklaces and and he was a, a race camel that oh. was had one first place so i mean this camel like had an ego he knew he was being decorated <laughs> and he wore it for like a half hour oh, that's and rugged. then when he was done he just like rubbed his neck on the ground and popped all the balloons oh, wow. <laughs> yeah what was the food like there i remember eating this cactus curry that was mind-boggling. Wow. Cactus curry. Jesus. Yeah. I mean, I guess one of the things that comes to mind when looking at a project like this is that obviously you guys are insane because mm. it's like, it's fantastic. It's such a beautiful, cre- but you know, there's no logical sense in like, yeah, we're going to travel around the world, take a bunch of pictures in a bunch of places where you are likely to be robbed. Uh, there's all sort of drama is going to go down. And we are almost certain to make no money. If we can manage to somehow break even is a miracle. Of yeah. Tell me about motivation. like Because well, obviously it's not a financial thing. You're not thinking, it's not exactly a get-rich-quick scheme. Uh, it's not, a, you don't know specific people, so you're not doing it for one person where it's like, we're going to do this epic thing where we visit this family that you're going kind of out into the unknown. Right, and this was also in the mid-90s when uh, the internet yeah, started coming. Yeah, so up. it really is unknown. In, I grew up in the Silicon Valley, and Ooh. I had uh, this master's degree in organizational development, so I was set to make a shitload of money. Yeah. And then this opportunity happened, and I thought, okay, well, I'm not going to be able to do this in the future. Mm-hmm. There's something about you know sleeping on a, an overnight bus in China with a 60-pound backpack that it's like a young person. It's like yeah. being an athlete. You of have course. to be in of course. shape to do yeah. it. So the motivation, uh, as far as kind of philosophically or, uh-huh. or spiritually, yep. was, this sounds m- slightly obnoxious maybe, but we were trying to do a small antidote to the uh, news cycle. If it bleeds, it leads, right? It's constant murder, arson, rape. I mean, hor- if, yeah. if horrible shit happens, we hear about it. Yeah. When good stuff happens... It's just completely ignored. Right. And which is the majority of things. Which is the vast majority of things, or yeah. we would never have yeah. crawled out of the cave. Yep. So people are almost psychotic in their perception of the world because the stories we hear are all, all the time are about the psychos. Yeah. Because it's compelling. Yeah. And and I understand. If I was working at Fox News, I'd be like, that story is too boring. Because the plane landed and nobody got hurt, but over there there's a fucking disaster. Let's yeah. cover that. So that I get it, but we also have to counterbalance that yeah. with like just gratitude for functionality. That's what we tried to do. That as different as people are with different languages, politics, religions, aesthetics, that everyone is born with a sense of humor and ability to laugh, yep. and that laughter sounds the same in every language. And we wanted to try to 
just emphasize that and make a book that when people were depressed, they could just look at this book and feel better. That, so that was the goal. Um, You've accomplished that, by oh, the way. Good, just by you. glancing at it, the, the joy I can see inside this book. And we've said for years, especially as things get crazier here in the U.S., travel would save everything. If mm. people would just go visit each other, yeah. you'll find out that the South ain't that different than California, mostly. There are the echelons of man, uh, madness on the edges, but we are the same. And I think you've proven that with this book big time. Well, and that's where far from being an obnoxious, are you kidding? Like, that's the least obnoxious thing in the world. That's like the most, like, it's as beautiful as it gets as a yes. goal, you know? Yeah. I, well, I think the obnoxious part is that we can in any way uh, compete with a news cycle because since the internet it's got even worse sure, you know sure. i mean it's exponentially more demented so um but a couple of other funny things that happened at the beginning when this idea just first came up was well first of all like our friends and family were all dismissive like, all right, of like everybody thought my <laughs> ego was out of control <laughs> yeah. and that charlie wasn't a good enough photographer but then also we got it from both the left and the right mm -hmm. people who are more conservative are like oh isn't that cute you think that the world can just play with balloons and we don't need yeah. armies anymore. So that, that was condescending. And then somebody on the left said to me that what we were doing was post-colonial repatronization, <laughs> that we're going to visit these like once proud, now traumatized, you know, brown people and putting Western disposable junk on their head for one final insult. So <laughs> you can't and, win. Yeah. I was like, so, so we were, you know, we were like, Maybe all that's true, but we got to try, you know? And so we, when we did our first trip, we came up with like a very clear success criteria, which was um, one, that Charlie and I would get along as people. Mm -hmm. Two is that people would like the balloons. Mm -hmm. And three is that people would like the photos when we came back. So after, so th if, if we could say uh, uh, answer affirmative on those three things, we would continue. Yeah. So I, I was okay with just trying and failing. Sure. I wasn't okay with not trying at all. Yeah, of course. So you say, did did people see their photos eventually? Did you ever get to go distribute um, them, or did? I guess just very rarely. Very rarely, like the Norwegian yeah. soldiers, because we were able to communicate through email. But like yeah. the people in the middle of Africa, no, how are you gonna yeah. even find them? No, again, no, I just right? no, no, that we makes sense. Crazy. I mean, it would yeah. be yeah. So in the Western world, like we still have friends in Serbia. And like Japan, you know, we were able to send the pictures. Yeah, to, yeah, of course, over um, time. But like, yeah. of course, yeah, the tribal guy you meet in the desert, you're like, yeah, I'll yeah. never see you again once I. It's literally a postcard of the world before the internet came and ruined everything. It's before the internet and before September 11th. Now, the world has actually gotten back to, I think, a pretty pre September 11th place. Certainly, way more than it felt like in 2005. It just felt like it was never going to go back. Yep. But yeah, the world has changed, <clears throat> and the internet has changed everything. And and you know, when we did this, when we did this, couldn't even email people. So we had to go to the public library, <laughs> get an atlas, and look at weather patterns to know when to go to Vietnam. Of course. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, you cannot just Google stuff. I mean, it's such a completely different universe. It's yeah, like, it's totally. You know, no, yeah. you're taking chances because your your knowledge of what's out there is gonna be a fraction of what you could have today, for yes. sure. You ever seen, by the way, sort of reminds me. You ever seen this? Uh, was a YouTube sensation at one point in maybe ten years ago or something? Uh, a thing that was called "Where the Hell Is Matt." 
Where the hell is Matt was this one guy oh, yeah, who yeah, went yeah, yeah, all yeah. over the world, yeah. much like what you're doing, uh-huh. but no balloons. In his case, you he would, would dance, dance. Yeah. really badly. He was like this absolutely <laughs> god-awful dancing, but he was really enjoying himself. And so a bunch of people all over the world would join him in this ridiculous dance that had no aesthetic whatsoever, other than the fact that they are having a blast and they are laughing and they are... Yeah. And uh, in some way, it kind of struck me as... Oh, it, it, there's a very similar vibe there. Right, you know, right. Well, music about, and balloons and yeah, food, you know. Exactly. Um, you and, know. And, and in a way, that I mean, I was a huge fan of Anthony Bourdain. I think he was yep. the gold standard mm-hmm. as far as doing a, a travel project and being insightful. Yep. But again, it's food. Yep. And yep. even when he couldn't talk to people, somehow they were able to connect through food. Totally. So dance and music and balloons are all similar. Like you don't need an explanation for James Brown right. or ice cream. <laughs> Just, yeah. turn Just turn yeah, it on. Yeah, and I think that's where it's at, right? And I think that was uh, what made those videos uh, so successful. Mm-hmm. That's what I think anybody who takes a look at the picture should respond the same way, yeah. is the fact that people all over the world who clearly live lives that are unlike one another to the point that you probably never mind back then where you really didn't have any idea of what somebody in another part of the world is doing. So you really was like capturing this minimum level but powerful shared humanity Mm -hmm. that uh, how everyone all over the damn world finds certain things funny and likes to laugh and likes to have a good time and finds a way to get past all the ideological bullshit and the language barrier and the this and the religion and the skin color and and just for five minutes has a great time with with each other. There's something really powerful about that. You know, there's something that, because again, we are reminded on a daily basis about all the 10,000 ways in which people are divided. I mean, hell, we're recording in US in 2023 where division is like the name of the game, right? Mm. Where especially along ideological lines, people absolutely hate each other. Mm. I'd love to see some Proud Boys in some of these hats. Mm. Right, yeah. So to bring it back to a level where you can get, it's like all that stuff doesn't matter. There's another layer below it all, deeper than it all. Yeah that you can connect with people. I find so, this- so we have a, a section in the book called What is Laughing? Right. And it was a survey we did wherever we went and we asked people, what is laughing? Mm-hmm. Where does it come from? What does it mean? And one of the answers is a guy from Egypt that, and he says, um, and I'm paraphrasing, I can't remember exactly, but he says something like, you can laugh with people when you can cooperate and share an experience. Mm-hmm. And I had never really thought about that before because laughter can be weaponized, right? If, yeah. if somebody, especially when you're a child, laughs at you, it could scar you for the rest of your life. Sure. In order to actually share a moment of genuine laughter, you have to trust the people or you might think they're laughing at you. Yeah. So <clears throat> there is kind of a barrier to entry sure. in the first place. The balloons kind of disarmed that in many mm-hmm. ways. But not in all ways, you know. I mean, uh, uh, the one of the great paradoxes of being alive is that we're all the same because we're all on this planet mm-hmm. temporarily. Sure, our values are so different that we might as well be in different universes yep. while we're still on the same planet. Yep, yep. <clears throat> and it's not just language and aesthetic; it's just yep. you know everything. Everything. I mean, if you think if you believe in heaven and hell, 
that's a pair of goggles that you're wearing that are going to color everything you look at. Mm-hmm. Every decision you make is, is this going to get me closer to he- heaven or hell? And if you don't believe that story, you might, they, you know, you're like, you, you're easily disregarded. So the division, the differences are profound and they aren't going away. And partly it's what makes life so interesting, but taken to an extreme, it becomes a problem, especially now because the world is so interconnected. You know, and I, I think that our brains are wired for fear just to survive, you know, mm-hmm. like evolutionary, like disgust and and tribalism all made sense when we were living in caves. Yeah. Sure. But we don't live in caves anymore. Now we have cargo containers on massive boats going all over the world because everything's so interconnected. So that old software, while it makes sense, is problematic. Well, and I think that's where the, something like this, which is uh, funny and people would see as lighthearted and whatever, it really strikes as one of the deepest things you can touch on today, mm. which is you have like 8 billion people, the majority of which are not getting along ideologically over various things. There are divisions based on race. There are divisions based on nationality. There are divisions based on religion, on politics, on you name it. So finding something... Because, you know, we do, as humanity, we do face uh, a ton of challenges that are real and heavy and even existential in nature. So finding people to cooperate, to work together for a goal, to stop seeing each other as uh, the enemy across the ideological line, that's like the ultimate art, the ultimate psychological discourse, the ultimate thing that you can do to to create any kind of solution. Because you're not going to create any solution in an environment where people don't trust each other and hate each other. Well, it's funny you say that because when COVID started, I thought, okay, this is going to put us all on the same wavelength. Right. Because this this virus is not discriminating against, you know, how much pigment you have in your skin. And of course- But it really, it kind of did the opposite at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So so that is a very funky dynamic. And frankly, if somebody was coming to say, we're taking away all your rights and we're creating a theocracy, there's no compromise with that. No. You know? No. So there's certain things you can't- Oh, absolutely. About. absolutely. I'm not trying to dismiss the importance of certain ideological things. They're real. There's a reason why they exist. They are real. Absolutely. The problem is, yeah, and I, I'm glad you make that point because that's an excellent counterbalance, which is also true. It's yeah. like some things are real and no, there are no compromises. No, there is no finding a middle ground because you want genocide. I don't. We're not going to meet in the middle kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, the tricky thing is what's a reasonable sand in the line? Right. Like they talk about right. compromise between the Israelis and the Palestinians all the time. Yeah. But yeah, the, you know, the, the, owl the, the Palestinians is. are like, we don't want to compromise. Right. We, ju- we want our, our, our land, land back. Land. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Of yeah. course. And, and, and so, I mean, I understand their position. Sure. So, yeah, no, no, it's a serious parrot. Now, given all of that, yeah. I do think our brains are wired to bad news travels a lot faster than good news. Absolutely. And so when functional things happen, yeah. like just say that experience we had with the soldier in, in uh-huh. Vietnam. Yeah. When positive things happen, they just kind of tend to dissipate into the ether. Right. Whereas when bad shit happens, it goes in the history books. Yeah. And and it's become so I think it was Mark Twain who said a lie travels halfway around the world while the truth is still putting on its pants. Why do you think that's the case? Because what's this uh, virus of the human mind that causes this? 
Right, and I think about that a lot. I don't know if it's human nature. Uh-huh. I don't know if it's our particular culture. I don't know if it's a byproduct of the modern world. I think that the squeaky wheel gets the oil, yeah. right? So if you if you have a toothache or a mm-hmm. stomach ache or yeah, an earache, yeah. that, that's a real problem. Yeah. And right. that problem needs to be solved because you can't function. So there is something that is makes sense about focusing on problems all yeah, the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But... I don't know if we just like why is it that people like gossip and bad stories mm-hmm. and, and 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 why is it that you know every time when I watched the Sopranos and someone got shot I, got, I was happy I was right. thrilled <laughs> I was that's exciting yeah. you know Schadenfreude uh, yeah yeah or yeah yeah some yeah something like that there's something about that's really compelling about darkness hmm. I hope to answer this question one day. I'm still contemplating that, yeah. but it was a big motivator for us because it, it, in a way that whole question is what fueled our whole curiosity to do yeah, this. Yeah. You no, know? that makes sense. Yeah, because you are swimming against a giant current that's terrible for human beings. Yeah. And yet, yeah, of course, it's uh, good luck winning that battle. But at the same time, if you don't, what are you doing? You know, it's like you are... There's a joke, actually, I'm going to read that to you. I think he was a comedian named Emo Phillips. Mm. It's fucking... Ready for this one. <laughs> yeah. It goes, I was walking across a bridge one day, and I saw a man standing on the edge, about to jump off. So I ran over and said, Stop! Don't do it! Why shouldn't I? He said... I said, well, there's so much to live for. He said, like what? I said, well, are you religious or atheist? He said, religious. I said, me too. Are you Christian or Buddhist? He said, Christian. I said, me too. Catholic or Protestant? He said, Protestant. I said, wow, me too. Methodist or Baptist? Baptist. Wow, that's incredible. Me too. Baptist Church of God or Baptist Church of the Lord? Baptist Church of God. Wow, this is amazing. It's it's so unlikely. Are you original Baptist Church of God or are you Reformed Baptist Church of God? Reformed Baptist Church of God. Oh, that's good. Are you Reformed Baptist Church of God, the Reformation of 1879 or Reformed Baptist Church of God, the Reformation of 1915? He said, Reformed Baptist Church of God, the Reformation of 1915. I said, die, heretics, come and push them off. Which is a perfect capture of the level of because that's what I find hilarious is that it's not just the division between people where it's like yeah you want genocide I don't okay there's not gonna be a compromise there mm-hmm. but when you see a level where it's like okay you guys have checked 99 boxes and they are on the same page and you find one more thing that is not the genocide or not option it becomes somewhat trivial and you still find a way to hate each other over it you know and that's where I find this uh, a rewind the whole process and really like crank the dial in the opposite direction, which mm. is exactly what's happening with things like this. And which is why I think people get moved by things like this. And sometimes they don't even know how. I mean, it's like, why is it that that video of a guy dancing badly around the world gets like zillions of views? Because there's something that you see this poor bastard doing something really goofy and he's by himself in the middle of a plaza with people looking at him like, what's wrong with this guy? And then within a few minutes, you see people laughing and dancing with him and joining him and playing. And it moves you because it's like, oh, shit, there is a place there. There's something there where yeah. human can connect in a beautiful way. It's not all gloom and doom. It's not all uh, Reformed Baptist Church of God, you evil heretic kind of thing. 
and there's a beauty to it that makes you hopeful you know it's mm-hmm. like when you see somebody being kind when you don't have to and there's a quality to it that's moving that's like oh wow you had to do a hard thing to come to that place of kindness because yeah. all your initial instincts weren't going there so I don't know, man. I feel like it's the exact opposite of uh, trivial or what, you know, somebody would, if some, you tell somebody, oh, it's about balloons around the world. It's like, eh, it's a joke. It's some kids in their 20s going to have an adventure, good for yeah. them, but whatever. It's like, yeah, it's that. And it's at the same time among the most important things that people can do. Some folks did a, a funny experiment at some music festivals, and some guy would do a weird dance out in the crowd. And what they found, the most important person in that circumstance is the first person that would go join them, oh, person yeah. number two. Because mm. yep. as soon as person number two shows up, mm. everybody goes. Yep. Mm. So there's something about somebody brave enough to be the wacky one. Yep. Is so important to us. Yeah, the one who grab, uh, grab some balloons, super and- crazy balloon hat, and is like, yeah, put it on my head. Yeah. And then they smile. And now yeah, you have a now everybody of people wants are like, oh, okay, that's cool, I guess. Nobody's going to laugh into at something, me. something, man. Yeah. It's amazing. How'd you like turning 50? Because mine was during the pandemic, and I was like, if I fucking die at 49 in 362 days, I'm going to be so mad. I turned 50 in August. I was actually just talking about this last night because I'm a racquetball player. I'm a much better balloon twister than a racquetball player, but I do racquetball a lot more. But, but now the I'm like, I'm fucking exhausted. Like, like yesterday I colla- I won, but I collapsed right afterwards. <laughs> and I, I never, I, I always, yeah. always was happy that, oh, I still play racquetball like I'm 25, you know? Yeah. And so I don't know if I'm ac- it actually is because I'm physiologically changing or it's just a placebo effect because the number yeah. seems like a big shift. Yeah. But I enjoy sleep more. My sex drive is not what it was. And I was just like, oh, shit. It's like all of, all of a sudden it's like I lost a friend or something. It's like, yeah. where'd that go? You know? Right. Um, a year ago it wasn't like this. So I, I don't know. I, I don't mind getting older. I look forward to dying. The idea of living forever seems unbearable to me. Absolutely. It is unbearable. It's impossible. I mean, that's just terrible, especially if the robots are going to take over. Then, you know, that doesn't seem so appealing. So I don't mind getting older. I just want to stay like, you know flexible and not lose so many things along the way yeah. right right right, right your brain right, is right. still sharp it's still gonna be fun and i want to stay in the racquetball court as long as i can because racquetball is like my prozac right, right it's like right. it's like it kind helps, of like, uh, keeps yeah. my brain sane you just need to find shittier opponents so you don't notice the difference <laughs> well yeah no no that, I, I i hear what you're saying and there, that is true but also the beauty of it is that when you get your ass kicked, that's when you learn. Right. You know, so yeah. I like, I, 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 in a way, I like losing yeah, yeah. because it makes me better. Of course. Or it makes me play harder. So uh, I guess that's another paradox. But being 50 is, I feel so fucking lucky because being this age, yeah. uh, and we're all in that ballpark, mm-hmm. we caught the very end of the analog era and the beginning of the digital we era. We got the and, best of everything. Yeah. And also, we, we it's kind of, I, uh, this sounds pessimistic but i kind of feel like we caught the end of the best of it and we're at mm-hmm. the beginning of the worst of it yeah no you know? it totally feels that way i'm supposed, i mean per- the war was over the discos went crazy Our yeah parents are all having a great time the pill my friend who's uh he's like probably 75 
he said the sweet spot was from 1968 to 1982. Like after women got the pill and the sexual revolution happened right up until AIDS. He said everybody was just fucking everybody. And it was life affirming. Yeah. It's a shame to have been 11. We we used to be sponsored for a while by Blue Chew, so mm. I strongly recommend for, um, well, not sex drive, because it doesn't make you desire more, but it definitely makes you feel uh, ready for 20s. the job anytime. <laughs> so that's always. Okay. Well, uh, on that happy I'll note. I'll take three of them. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, anything else we want to Can add? we go to the Broad and... Put a hat on one of those Jeff Knowles supersized balloon dogs. That's oh the Jeff Coons thing. Coons, that's it. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, how do how do I say? I, I I'm not a fan. He it's actually really funny. So the Jeff Coons thing, he makes these gigantic balloon dogs and he sells them for mm. bajillions of dollars. Crazy. They called me. Mm-hmm. His, the comp- like he yeah. he's a marketing guy, right? Yeah. He's not really yeah. an artist. He right. He's like just like Donald Trump is not a negotiator. He's a a marketing guy, right? Yeah. Right. This guy markets himself as yeah. an artist, and it's almost like the silly dancing thing around the yeah. world. This giant balloon dog is so easy to understand. Right. It's familiar. It's yeah. novel. So they made so many of these dogs and sold them for so much money that they decided, okay, we need new animals. So they called me, mm-hmm. and I came into their office and I showed them a swan and another animal. I think like a teddy bear. Mm-hmm. And the impressive thing was not him, but the team. Because they would spend like six months work, like a team of 12 people would spend six months working on this thing. And when you looked at it up close, the detail was impressive because just like balloons wrinkle when you twist yeah. them, yeah. they had like, they created the wrinkle on the dog, which right. is like his project manager, not him. The shininess is real nice too. So they like, the shininess is nice. And and it cost something like $80,000 just to ship this fucking thing. Jesus. Wow. Right? <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it's huge. Yeah. yeah. And to assemble it, they said, all right, great, thanks, goodbye. And then uh, a couple of years later, I saw that he had, had a whole new line of animals, and a teddy bear was one of them. Oh. Nice. Yeah. 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 It's like so, pitching in L.A. Yeah. yeah. Do you have a favorite that. animal that you make? The balloon turtle is really cute. Probably the most... Uh, I, I'm not really an animal guy. I don't make too many animals. Yeah. I know maybe like 20 or something. The snake, believe it or not, it sounds like it'd be stupid, but it's actually really hip. But by far, the cutest balloon animal that I make is the panda. I bet it, that's it, wildly it create, popular. It, it makes it, it's so cute that adults like convulse <laughs> <laughs> when they see it. They like, <laughs> it physically affects uh, that's them. That's funny. Yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah. Well, can I just mention one other thing? Yeah, please. Uh, I just, in case anybody wants to join the balloon cult, yeah. um, learning how to make a balloon flower. Mm-hmm. Out of five-inch round balloons, is an incredible way to meet people, make people happy, and it's the shortest amount of work necessary to create joy. Like if you want to make people happy with tap dancing or music, it takes years to get good. Mm-hmm. And if you learn how to make this balloon flower, it literally takes five minutes, and you can create joy for anybody. So if you go to inflatableplanet.com, our website, not only are there all the pictures there, but there's a link that says videos and there's instructions that I have about how to make this balloon flower with five inch round balloons. So it's not even the skinny balloons that right. are hard to blow up. These are easier to blow up. And so, yeah, check that out. Because I've got a sack of them at home. I can't wait. Oh, good. And because the thing is when, when, when you're in a funk, when you're in a bad mood and you're spiraling, 
if you create joy for someone through this balloon flower, mm-hmm. it actually, it's not going to solve your problems, but it hits like a pause on the spiraling. It might even hit a reset because they're happy, you're happy. It's a distraction, yeah. but it's not a bong hit or, you know, Oxycontin or whatever. Yeah. It doesn't have a poisonous aspect to it. I and the balloons it. are biodegradable too. I love that. And uh, an inflatable planet on Amazon, right? You yeah. can find it. So you want to check out the book. Very easy because the title of the book, same as the website. Absolutely outstanding. Thank Everybody's you. getting this for Christmas from me. I Sweet. fucking love it, man. Awesome. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. Well, the funky music means one thing. That's the end of another not fine episode. I, I don't know why this hit me so hard. Uh, just You dug this one. I, I good. really I'm, dug it. I, maybe glad. it's the whole notion of these you know two knuckleheads out in the 90s risking their lives for silliness. But it's just riddled with hope I'm, in a dark time. Or it may be something from an age that will never return. No, but I like it. It's uh, It really is about something essential. As uh, So hope you guys enjoyed it at least half as much as Rich did, because oh. if you did, this is uh, an I excellent just day. <laughs> so I had a great time too. So on that note, wish you all a very good day. Yep. Take care, everybody. One day the rod shall teach you. D B O L E L L I. Good shit. R I C H I M O N and the numeral one. And so ends another awesome episode of the Drunken Dallas Podcast. Be sure to keep your ears peeled for another mind-expanding episode coming soon. We'll be tweeting you as they come out. You can keep track of Danielli at D-Bolelli. That's D-B-O-L-E-L-L-I. And you can find me on Twitter at Richimon1. R-I-C-H-I-M-O-N and the numeral one. We'll see you all soon. Woo! Let's go to rehearsal. We're rolling this one. Oh.